Welcome to On Publishing from the Binary Agency. This is Alex Field. And this is Ingrid Beck. Every week, we talk to professionals from the world of publishing. Our goal is to educate, inspire, encourage, and inform. Let's get started. On today's episode of On Publishing, we talked to Christine Edwards. She is the group sales director at the Crown Publishing Group, a division of Penguin Random House in New York City. And Christine's been there for nine years, where most recently she worked on Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, uh, and led the sales campaign behind that massive release, which was the top selling book of 2018. Before uh, she went to Penguin Random House, Christine was a book buyer at Borders and before that at Walden Books. And so she's been in the book buying and book selling game for a very, very long time. We really learned a lot from Christine. I really loved her insights about how she and her team work both with the publishing side and with the sales teams to really make sure they can um, convince buyers to take a risk on books and what kind of books have the best chance of capturing the buyer's attention and therefore getting the the promotions in a store. There was lots of good insights here. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating thing to look at the book buying and book selling part of the industry, whether you're at a bookstore or now an online retailer or or you're selling books at a publisher like Christina's, I think it just provides a whole nother window into how this industry works. And, you know, if, if you're writing a novel and you're at home or at a coffee shop and doing it every day all by yourself, you don't think about these intricacies of the industry that, you know, people like Christine uh, work in every single day. So I think it's a great perspective for those of us who may not be in sales, um, but, but rely on salespeople to do what we do. Well, and if you are writing, I think it's critical because you will have to sell your book, whether it's to an agent or to an editor. They then in turn have to sell your book to a publisher. Um, So there's many times over throughout the publishing process where, you know, the concept of your book has to be compelling enough to get people excited and to, to get them on board and committed to the effort of getting your book in the marketplace. Exactly right. Well, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Christine Edwards. Here we go. Since we recorded this episode, Christine Edwards joined HarperCollins in a newly created role as Senior Vice President of Sales. Christine Edwards, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. You know, for those who who don't know who you are, if you could just Start out by telling us what you do currently at Penguin Random House, what your current role is, you know, what you oversee from day to day right now. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Um, Thank you for having me today. I am currently the group sales director for The Crown and the audio publishing divisions at Penguin Random House. What does that mean? I like to sort of call it the Venn diagram uh, position in that the group sales directors are really that overlap between sales and publishing. So myself and my colleagues for the various divisions that we support, we work with our publishers really on the entire life cycle from the book, from the point of acquisition, um, from the time a book is a frontlist title, when it becomes a backlist title, and ultimately even when you make decisions about taking something out of print. On the sales side, I help 
set the publisher's priorities with the larger sales organization and make sure that the sales team has what they need to go out and represent our books in the marketplace and try to maximize our sales opportunities. So I also work with marketing and publicity. Does, is the campaign lining up to help our reps with their sell-in? Does it seem like we have a campaign in place that is really going to reach the consumers that we're trying to reach? Um, so it's great. I get to do a little bit of everything. Awesome. What other roles have you had at Penguin Random House? And what types of books have you represented? Have you represented different categories in that time? I joined PR. It's crazy. It was actually nine years ago this week. Oh, um, wow. Congrats. Thank you. It's actually, it's really flown by. And I think the reason that it has flown by is because I really, I love what I do. And, and more than anything else, I think it's the variety of the books that we publish. So your question about what sort of books do we work with? So over my time here, I've had the opportunity to work on best-selling nonfiction memoirs and narratives, things like Becoming with Michelle Obama and mm -hmm. Eric Larson's history titles and blockbuster fiction like Gone Girl and The Martian. Um, Crown is the largest publisher of cookbooks. So Ina Garten and Chrissy Teigen and Yotamo Delenghi. And um, we have a dedicated business imprint and a dedicated religion imprint. And so it's been fascinating for me that um, we publish so broadly into so many different categories. And the consumers for each of those categories, there, there are certainly things that are similar, but obviously very different in terms of why people are coming to certain books and looking for certain types of books. Um, the marketplace is constantly changing. The influencers for consumers and readers is constantly changing. So it's always fresh and, and mm -hmm. so the variety for me has kept it really interesting and dynamic for these nine years. And I hope to have many more. That's really good stuff. And I, I would love to dive. I think we'll dive into more on on some of those categories and those books you've worked on, Christine, in, in a second. But let's go back a little bit. And if you could, like you got started in the book business as a buyer at bookstores, right? So Walden Books and Borders. So how did how did that journey start? And uh, yeah, maybe you could if you could do a little bit of that um, backstory for us, that would be super helpful. Sure. It sounds a little cliche. I mean, I, I like a lot of people in the book industry. I grew up in a house of book lovers. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were college professors and avid readers. And, you know, I fondly remember growing up and regularly visiting the public library with my mom or riding my bike through the neighborhood to the to the bookmobile. Um, so, you know, reading was definitely one of my first loves. Um, and sort of flash forward when I was in college, I worked for an indie bookstore and when I left college, I really, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and so I ended up taking a job at a local Walden Books and, and became the store manager. And from there, my regional sales director had recommended to the HR department that they should consider me for an assistant buyer training program. And they called and asked and I, I jumped at the chance. And from the very beginning, I was very lucky. The first buyer that I was paired with was an amazing mentor. And to this day, I'm, I'm really in awe of his instincts as a buyer. And I employ a lot of those lessons and a lot of the experience that I had as a buyer to my job as a sales director. You know, I think it's been extremely valuable in my time as a buyer being a sales director because I do understand 
like how do how do you convince a buyer to take a chance on a book or um, how do you convince them that this particular book is right for their specific customer? Because depending on the retailer, you know, they have different customers that they might be courting. Um, one of the other things that a great bit of advice that I got early on from another senior buyer was that if you get the chance, try to work in as many categories as you can, because ultimately you'll be well-rounded and a better buyer. And so that's what I did. I, my first assistant buying gig was really the sort of the pinnacle in some respects, it was the fiction category. They liked to rotate the assistant buyers around. And so I volunteered to send me to the gift and stationery area, send me to the kids area, um, because I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And then over the years, I both as a buyer and then as a category manager and a director managing teams of buyers, um, I had the good fortune to work pretty much with every single category, with the exception of computer books, I was somehow in some way involved with every category of books. And so for me, it was just, it just, it fed my, my curiosity and my passion for knowledge and learning new things. And the fact that what I was learning about constantly were books and, you know, how those categories were different, how the readers were different, how readers responded to trends differently um, has just always kept it really interesting and fresh for me. Yeah, that's amazing to have that much diverse experience. You probably talk about this a lot, but I'm really curious about how how you've seen the retail environment change over the course of your career, even as you've moved out of retail into the publisher environment, maybe some of the differences there. I mean, it's interesting, you know, because the, there are there are differences and but there are there are similar themes that are consistent. So in terms of the differences, obviously the retail landscape itself. So we went from a period of time where it was really about mall-based retail. So Walden Books in its heyday yeah. um, to the rise of the superstores with Barnes and Noble and Borders. And then the retailers that were squeezed the most during the growth of those, you know, sort of two retail models were the Indies. Then there was sort of the rise of online and everything that that has meant. And, you know, I, I mean, it's interesting because when I, when I left Borders nine years ago, I, I remember having a conversation with the CEO before I left and he asked me, what do you think is the future of book retail? And I said, I think it's small format bookstores. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, the, and that has really definitely played out in terms of, you know, Indies have seen a strong resurgence in the last, accelerating in the last five to six years. So at the same time that you have online growing exponentially, you also have a lot of people returning to the the small neighborhood retailers and not just for books, but you see it, you know, our special markets team sees it in a lot of the mom and pop gift stores as well. So um, I think that there is, it, as much as people are gravitating to online because of pricing and convenience, they're also really craving that connection to the local retailer and the merchant that knows them and, and knows what they want to buy. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing that's really for indies. It is that that connection that if you're really a book lover, um, that you know that you can go into a store and you can have somebody talk to you and help you find the book that is going to be meaningful to you. Right. Um, you know, and that's the thing that the online experience just hasn't caught up ultimately to really what people want. It's, it's not a great user experience. And in a way that being uh, on the front lines with a retailer that knows and is passionate about the category is, it's just a different experience. 
unless you're going online and you already know exactly what you want. And then, you know, maybe you can discover something quickly. But yeah, if you're looking for something and you're not quite sure what that personal connection does make such a huge difference. And again, you know, that's that's one of the things that you'll see in terms of the industry trends right now. Um, nonfiction has really been an area of growth and particularly lifestyle based and sort of reference nonfiction. And it's because you know, people are so used to going online to search for information. Uh, and so many of those searches now send you directly to an online retailer that that is going to serve up the book or you know, the audio or the ebook that is an answer to that larger question that you're asking. Now, you know, I need a gift for someone who likes to do watercolors or my parent was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, you know, I need, I need a book for caregivers. So when you know exactly what you're looking for in nonfiction in particular, you know, the online experience can lead you. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people right now too are a little suspect about how the online review process works and can you really trust that as a source? Um, so, you know, the other thing that I think is that has stayed consistent in terms of what influences readers is recommendation. So if you if you ask readers now, and, and the industry regularly surveys readers to say, how are you making your buying decisions? How do you find out about books? And they say, I, I saw it in a store, and, and an online merchandising can be the equivalent of saw it in a store, or um, it was recommended to me. And it can be recommended by friends or family, or it can be recommended by influencers like librarians or teachers or, or healthcare professionals. Um, but recommendations that actually saw it and that it was in front of you, whether it's in a store, on a table, on a shelf, online, that's how people discover things. Christine, uh, over the years, you know, I've interacted with you um, and, and you, it's always struck me that you you have some so much wisdom to give and you've you've led teams both on the bookstore side and on the publishing side. What what sorts of leadership lessons have you learned in your time uh, working in this industry that that others, you know, who may be in the industry or wanting to get into the industry could benefit from? Well, I know, Alex, you and I were talking about one of the greatest gifts that someone ever gave to me as a, a leader that I was reporting to. And I, I love to tell this story because I think that it's something that I've certainly adopted in my leadership style. And I think it's an important lesson, which is um, years ago when I was a buyer, I won't give you the whole background, but there was a mistake that I made and I, I caught the mistake. And my first instinct was to go to a colleague that was going to have to help me like fix the mistake and say, Hey, we need to figure this out. Can you work with transportation, figure out how much this is going to cost? I'm going to go throw myself on my sword and, um, and tell the director what happened. So I, I, I went in and I knocked on his door and I said, listen, um, I've screwed something up and I'm in the process of figuring out how to fix this. I'm going to come back to you with a recommendation within the next half hour. So in the meantime, I figured out how much that mistake was going to cost. And I went to him and I knocked on his door and I said, so Bill, it's going to cost $100,000 and this is what it's going to take. Wow. Um, and he said, go make it happen and then come back. So I went and I made sure that everything was lined up. And um, I, I came back and he said, you know, let's talk. And he said, I, I want you to know, he's like, what you just said to me, as far as I'm concerned, changed the trajectory of your career and not in the way that you think it did. The fact that you came to me and you admitted that the mistake was yours and that you had a solution 
um, means that I feel that I can trust you implicitly. And that's made all the difference in the world. And ultimately, um, it did make a huge difference. And when the next promotion came up in the department, he offered it to me. And it's a lesson that I try to impart on people is that we're going to make mistakes. Everybody is going to make mistakes. So don't beat yourself up about it. What can you learn from this? How can we fix it? How can we move on? If you don't know how to fix it, admit that too. Say, listen, this is what happened. And I need to find a way to fix it and I need your help. And that's okay to ask for help as well. So I think a good lesson is that we can learn as much from our mistakes as our successes if you're open to learning. That's a hard thing to do in that moment where sometimes it feels like your your job is on the line if you make a big mistake like that. So that's a huge, a huge turning point and a huge, a huge lesson for all of us. And, and I, I suppose it requires a safe environment to make that kind of leap and be that honest about, hey, I screwed up. Here's what happened, but here's a solution. Um, but that must have been a hard moment for you. It was scary. Yeah. And, you know, and and look, I mean, you're right. There's there are certain places in probably even in that, that company, it could have been the sort of the death of me in that role. But um, in terms of being a leader, I do think it's important to try to create a safe environment for the people that that you work with to stretch themselves, to learn and to grow. And and part of that is going to be mistakes. I mean, I had another mentor years ago that said, if you've never crashed and burned, then you haven't really tried because, Ooh. you know, you have, you have to take risks in business and you're going to fail as often as you're going to succeed. And maybe even more so. I mean, there's certainly in the role that I'm in now, one of my responsibilities is helping to advise on acquisitions and there are certainly books that in hindsight, I'm like, well, I, I gave the wrong advice on that. You know, there are books that I recommended we not acquire that have gone on to be huge bestsellers. There are books that I recommended that we acquire that have not panned out. But, I mean, Alex, you know this, you know, that's that's part of the business too, is again, you're, not every book is going to be a success. If we knew what the secret formula was, every book would be a bestseller. That's right. But, but you're also dealing with, I mean, day in and day out, um, these books, I mean, books by presidents and books by uh, very well-known figures in the world today. And so that, that brings a whole level of pressure too. So to be able to make those kind of judgment calls and be that honest in those moments is super important, but super valuable. Yeah. To those, those around you. I think those of us who have been in publishing definitely know that is a reality that you, you try to predict what is going to succeed. Um, but often you're wrong or the ones that you don't believe in work really well. So, um, how do you stay excited about what you're doing? How do you keep from, from getting frustrated with that inability to maybe meet your expectations for success? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the hardest thing is when um, there's a book that you love and, you know, you have an author that is a joy to work with and you want nothing more than for their book to be a success and it just falls flat in the market. You know, it's it's hard and all you can do is try to continue to encourage that author to continue to put themselves out there. And the hard thing is that sometimes you do have to walk away from from a book because if you've invested and continue to invest and at some point it's just not paying off, you do sometimes have to move on and that's hard. What keeps it exciting and rewarding? I mean, for me in particular, I love it when it's a book that actually has the ability to change people's lives. So um, a, a recent example, we published a book a couple of years ago called Evicted, which is about 
how eviction is keeping people in a cycle of poverty in this country. And the author won the MacArthur Genius Award and he won the Pulitzer and it's such an important book. And recently, um, and this book has been out now for maybe three and a half years, it was adopted as a community read in Cleveland, Ohio, and it had such a profound effect on the community that the city council recently passed legislation that for impoverished families facing eviction, that they will be providing legal services to them. Um, and that's huge. And that's a book that's going to change a community, that's going to change an individual's life. Um, so that, you know, if you can do that once in your career, it's amazing. But the opportunity to be able to do that time and again is what, what keeps it exciting every day. Yeah, that's major. It's really cool when you when you can see lives changed by by the work that you're doing, the books that that you're a part of publishing. Um, that that is so rewarding. And, and I think there are a lot of people out there, um, potentially even some listening, who who might want to work in publishing in some capacity. Maybe they want to be an editor. Maybe they want to be in sales. Maybe they want to be a buyer at a bookstore. Well, what kind of advice would you have for anyone who wants to get into this business? Because it's not easy, as Ingrid said you know, this can be a business that can knock you down because the books don't always do what we expect them to do. What kind of advice would you have for for folks who, who really want to do this kind of work? Well, I mean, let's say that this is really sort of your first career and you're fresh out of college or you're in college and you're trying to decide what you want to study. I mean, there are a lot of different points of entry. I mean, certainly, you know, you don't have to be an English major. You know, I was a political science major. Um, there are people that major in communications or marketing or increasingly data and analytics is an interesting way to um, enter in now. It's interesting, you know, I I know when we're um, looking at hiring assistant level employees at the company, it does help if you've worked in an indie bookstore or, or, or a Barnes and Noble, or like if you've worked in a bookstore and you have shown an, an interest in, in books and you understand you know, you've worked on the front lines with consumers. That that is something that can give you a leg up. So, if you have the luxury or you're required to work while you're in school, or you know, like that, that can definitely help a lot. That's certain, certainly something you should look at. I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of the people that are in sales didn't always necessarily assume that they were going to be in books. Um, we kind of found our way in here. You know, a lot of people that are in editorial traditionally started with um, with an English major and worked on their, you know, worked on publications at the university level. But I think is an industry too, one of the things that we're trying to do is actively look for people that maybe are coming to the industry from an atypical path. I certainly know at Penguin Random House, we're, we're, we're actively looking for people that may have an untraditional path and bring a different perspective and a different life experience to the world of publishing. Because I think as an industry, publishing is really trying to broaden the horizons and the people that feel included and a part of this business. It is interesting, though, that publishers are starting to try to broaden their horizons. And I think it's great because publishing changes year after year and the market changes year after year. And we have to change with it and learn new ways to to create great books and reach readers and so on. So um, it's always good to have fresh perspective. So that's that's fantastic. So speaking of reaching readers, I'm curious how selling books has become harder in recent years. 
And conversely, maybe how has it become easier? Hmm. How has it become harder? One sad fact is that a lot of the statistics are showing that fewer people are reading as a form of entertainment. Now, the the people that are reading are are as devoted, if not more so than they've ever been. So um, the people that are still reading tend to be, you know, avid book buyers or frequent their library. Um, so the, in terms of the, you know, the, the high consumer readers, they're, they're still there. Um, but we have lost some readers to social media and streaming and other forms of entertainment. I think that in terms of the news cycle, it's very rare now for books to land on the bestseller list and stay there. So, you know, we're putting a lot of effort into publishing books that might have a very fleeting moment in the spotlight. So that's harder. Um, In terms of what's easier, I mean, as I mentioned about dot-com behaviors, we can see what consumers are looking for. So we know, for instance, at certain times of year that people are always looking for study guides for the summer bridge to make sure that their kids don't lose ground over the summer. Or we know that because of all of the data we have, we know what people are looking for during the new year, new you time period or gifts for moms. Or one of the things that we've uh, kind of a funny thing that we've noticed in the last few years, driving the bestseller list online in the month of December is white elephant gifts for Mm -hmm. for holiday gifts. Mm -hmm. So we know that there's a, a real demand for for humor books during the month of December. So data is helping us make informed decisions based on what the consumer is telling us that they want. Um, what is that occasion? What is that need that they have? So so that has made, certainly from a nonfiction perspective, it has made it easier for us to try to get books to the market quickly based on what consumers are looking for. I would love to to just jump on that a little bit. You mentioned a sort of tendency by publishers to sell books that are almost of the moment or they'll have a big spike right at the beginning and maybe not a long lasting one. And some of those, and I don't know if this is exactly true, but some of those might be celebrity books or um, there's some you know, reality TV show or who knows what it is. But when you have a first time author writing a book, with no awareness, no platform. It's just a really fantastic read. How do you sell a book like that? Well, it's about getting it into the hands of people who who do have platforms or are big mouths um, to help champion that books. Alex, I know you've heard us talk about this, but the sooner we have something to read, the better. So if you can get the sales force to fall in love with the book and start talking to buyers about it, this happens very frequently in the industry where we pass books around, you know, we, for people that have been in the industry for a long time, you, you know, a lot of people. And when you have a book that you love and you have a friend at another house and you know what they like to read, you give it to them and say, Oh my gosh, we have this amazing book. You have to read it. And buyers pass books around to each other. And it's about our field reps getting out to the independent booksellers and putting it in the hands of that, not necessarily even the buyer, but the bookseller in a specific market that they know champions a certain genre or a certain type of book. So it is really that grassroots putting it in the hands of people that love certain types of books and that you know are going to want to share their love and enthusiasm for that book with the people that they can influence. Um, So that's a big piece of it. Um, Media obviously continues to be 
a big driver. But, you know, one of the biggest changes that we've seen is the shift to online and social media platforms of media as opposed to, you know, traditional broadcast media. We love to get the morning shows and the late night shows and the the 60 minutes of the world, but those aren't always the biggest drivers now for certain types of books. A lot of it can be social. And so working with a first time author to help build their social and, and make connections. The other thing too, is authors really like to help each other out. So it's important to, to get first time authors to network, you know, can they go to writing retreats or conventions where they can make connections with, with people that publish into the same space they do and how can they leverage those relationships in a positive way? That's really good advice. Well, and speaking of which, and, and I know this is, uh, you know, a little bit removed, but you see new proposals and new books every single day. And you're part of that team, as you said, who, who weighs in on acquisition decisions. So when you think of aspiring authors, and, and this is a broad question, but fiction, nonfiction, whatever the category might be, what sort of advice would you have for, for somebody who's at the beginning or who's writing their manuscript and thinking about someone like you, Christine, and you know how you're going to respond to their to their work down the road. What sort of advice would you have for them? It's a little contradictory because on the one hand, what I'd say is is you definitely you want to be authentic and you want to be true to yourself in the words that you're putting on the page. But I think at the same time, I think that you need to look for an editor that you that you trust um, and whose input you value, and take advantage of their editorial expertise. So. Be true to yourself, but at the same time, don't be so stubborn that um, you're not going to take editorial feedback in, in the intent in which it is intended, which is to help you come out with the best book possible. Yeah, that's good. Really good. In terms of building a platform, which um, publishing folks talk about a lot, what can an author do in that space aside from social media and networking? Is there any other advice you would offer, especially for someone who's really just getting started? I think you can look to other authors whose work you respect and Mm -hmm. whose platform you respect and the way that they interact with readers and see if there are things that you can emulate. You know, it's, I, I think there's a lot to be learned from the people that inspire you as a writer and see if there's a page that you can take from their book. Um, figuratively, not. not yeah. right. <laughs> Christine, I want to take a step back and ask you a little bit about you uh, personally and the things you like to read. We have this, this phrase on our website, one book can change everything. And I'm, I believe that in a whole variety of ways it can change your career or something about your personal life. But um, can you think of one book in your life that's had a, a big impact in some way or that's, that's changed the trajectory of something for you personally, professionally or otherwise? And, and I know that's kind of on the spot, but we're all book people. So can you think of one that maybe you'd want to share with us? Well, first of all, <laughs> You can't really ask a book person. <laughs> they can never narrow it down to one. Exactly. exactly. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think at different stages of my life, one book that I've gone back to again and again is The Alchemist. I just find that that's one of those books that whenever I'm at a stage in my life where I need encouragement that I'm on the right path or 
Courage to Take a Different Path. That's a book that has just really resonated with me personally. And when I have friends or, or you know, colleagues in my life that are in a, at a crossroads, I, I often find myself giving that book to them um, for encouragement and inspiration. But, you know, then there, there are just books that stand out in my mind because there was something, you know, I, I, one of the earliest books that I remember as a child that just stood out to me in terms of the descriptions and, and the ability for words to bring a scene to life was The City Mouse, The Country Mouse. I mean, it was something I had my parents read to me over and over again. And just that particular translation of it, it was written in such a way that I I could just, I could see the scenes and I could smell the smells. And it just was such a visceral experience for me to have that book read aloud. That's the best thing about a book, right? Is that it's transformative in some way and it can take you to a place and time or give you that lesson or that encouragement that you that you need in that moment in your life. So that's why it's hard to narrow it down. (laughs) I'm terrible with like top three lists or top five lists. So I get it. I get it entirely. I wonder, would you be able to share uh, something that you've worked on recently, a book project that you've uh, either worked on in the last few years or that you're working on now that, uh, or maybe some stories about some of those books that you, that you'd be happy to share? Um, yeah, well, I mean, in, in recent history, sort of the certainly the biggest book that I've worked on is Becoming, um, the Michelle Obama memoir, which was an amazing, crazy, wild ride in, in, in the best way. Um, you know, a book that the beautifully written an author who was obviously passionate and committed about the book itself and what she hoped that book would deliver for the reader. Um, and just, I, you know, I mean, really probably a once in a lifetime publishing campaign. Um, so that was definitely a a career highlight for me. Um, I mean, some of the, some of the other things in, in recent history, and one of the things that's just so much fun in book publishing is when you have something that starts off small and becomes a phenomenon. So, you know, with Becoming, it, the book was huge. It's you know one of the, the best-selling books in the last decade um, and continues to be a really strong performer. Um, but then there are books like Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up for Marie Kondo that um, you know, we shipped less than 10,000 copies. And it's right behind Becoming in terms of one of the best-selling nonfiction books of the last wow. decade. So I remember when the book was acquired, it, it felt very much like it was it was going to resonate with the market because it seemed like a time when people were already starting to feel a little disconnected and, and you know, buried under social media and buried under things. And it seemed like the right book to publish at the time, but we certainly never expected it to perform at the level that it did. And so that's always fun when you're just on a roller coaster and, and you just don't know how wild the ride is going to be. Yeah. And, and now that's, uh, I'm sure it's continuing with the Netflix special. I mean, everyone's tidying up. It's everywhere, right? Yeah. And it's really sort of spawned an entire kind of generation of knockoffs and and, and even parodies, which is also fun too. Like, you know, that you've crossed over when um, there are 
humor parodies out there um, based on a, a nonfiction book. Yes, that's yes, so very, very true. Um, and and as far as the Michelle Obama book, uh, you guys organized a whole nationwide tour, didn't you? I mean, that's got to be quite uh, that's more than just a, a bookstore tour. Well, yeah, I mean, she worked with Live Nation on that, and that's really um, what they do. But it was part of part of the larger plan. As I said, I've, I've never seen um, a marketing and publicity plan like this. And I just hats off to the colleagues that spearheaded that because it was it was magic to watch. Well, uh, Christine, this has been wonderful to talk with you. I know you are incredibly busy. You have a lot of things going on uh, in your in your work every day. But um, it's it's just a pleasure to hear from you and hear from your experience. And, and uh, I, I know a lot of people uh, are going to benefit from that. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode of On Publishing. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and post a review. This episode was edited by Joey Howell, and the music was provided by Not The King. And remember, until next time, one book can change everything.